Well, you know what I think. I'm a Christian. I'm not going to deny that. I do want everyone to feel comfortable. That's why I'd like to talk to you about Jesus. Please do not go religious. Somebody's going to hell over there. He better not. Even the devil will speak the truth for, for his own purposes. This is war. Accept it. Back to Jerusalem podcast. Yeah, I'm back and I'm armed with righteousness. With your host, Eugene Bach. He just seems like he's got it all figured out. He's a righteous dude. Yep. Hello and welcome to another Back to Jerusalem podcast. I'm Eugene Bach, your host for this time, and I'm coming to you live on delay from somewhere within the borders of Sweden this time. And I'm super excited about having the Back to Jerusalem UK director, Bethany Hope, with us today. Bethany, thanks so much for joining us. Wow, I got a full name. Yeah, you did. You got a last name. Yeah, usually <laughs> I just say Bethany. But mo- oftentimes these days, whenever you come on, it's it's together with Stephanie when we do our mail call. Yeah, actually, I had an email about that um, a couple days ago from people saying that they were enjoying those. So I'm glad that they're going down well. Yeah. Well, this podcast is basically prompted because I know that you went and saw the movie Barbie. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And there was kind of an overarching theme. Do you want to kind of share that for a minute? Uh, Yeah, well, so I'm not like a a Barbie fan necessarily. When I was young, I played with Barbies, of course, like most people did. Um, so I'm not kind of its stereotypical audience, maybe in that way, but it's had such a huge buzz around it. Like it's had so much social media coverage. Um, it's been everywhere. Um, I know that its opening weekend was huge. So it's obviously been super, uh, super popular. So I went to see it with my friend because my feeling was there are so few movies that come out these days that are just fun and wholesome and simple and and it's just fun. You know, I just feel that there are so few of those. So this is what I was hoping and expecting. And I was sorely let down. Um, the whole movie, can I just say that I don't even know if I told you this, the opening of the movie was these young girls, like, I don't know, five, six, seven years old, playing with Barbies, sorry, playing with uh, baby dolls, not Barbies, baby dolls. And then Barbie comes along and they take these baby dolls and they smash their heads open on rocks. Like this is the opening scene of the movie. Yeah. It's really, it's really bizarre. Like it's super strange. And the idea is, okay, this is like the transition from normal baby dolls to young girls playing with Barbies. But it was a really weird way of doing it. Super uncomfortable. And then the entire movie was basically Barbie land is perfect and it's a matriarchy. I think they actually use that word. Um, And everything is run by women. There are no men. Everything is run by women. Um, Men are there. Like everybody's called Ken. All the guys are called Ken. But you don't see where they live or anything like that. They're just kind of an add-on. On the movie poster, it says she's Barbie and he's just Ken. I mean, that's on the movie poster. And so there's this idea that women run everything and men are just an accessory. They're just, they're not needed. They're not a necessity. And then they go to the real world and they discover it's a patriarchy. And they say the word patriarchy more than 10 times in this movie. I don't know how many times, but I saw a headline of someone talking about it and it said they say it more than 10 times. Um And then, yeah, then the whole story is basically about how the patriarchy is awful. Can we return to a matriarchy? And if not, kind of meet in the middle. It's just, it's very, 
it's not even subtle, you know, like somehow they try and give like little hints of messages in certain movies. This was just like not even trying to hide. And the sad thing was I was in the movie theater and it was full and I haven't been in a full movie theater for a long time. And honestly, must have been 50% of the people there were girls under 10 easily. Um, and so the whole message was that men are bad or just a waste of space. You can kind of be neutral about them, kind of a waste of time. Um, you need to strive to be something extraordinary as a little girl and being pretty is actually a really bad thing. Um, and so that was the message of the movie. I was very angry. I was very upset, very frustrated. That's my feeling. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that this is kind of a, a movie of the times. I think that this movie would not have been, it would not have gone over well 10 years ago or 20 years ago. Um, I think that the movie is a sign of the time where people are in full on revolt against God's order of things. And I'm not saying that women have not been uh, persecuted or that there isn't this subjugating of females that takes place on a regular basis. I'm not saying that at all, but... Everybody kind of goes through their own kind of challenges, and and in some ways, these movies, um, this messaging, I should say, not the movie, but the messaging really conflates the idea so much that you know we know how to fix it. And the 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 thing is, is that um, we have already seen this before. This is not new. The great um, the great strategy of Satan is to um, erase history in a way that man forgets what Satan has already done so that he can try it again. And uh, if we look at the, and are to understand kind of the feminist movement behind Barbie, um, the idea of them talking about a patriarchy, them talking about underprivileged females in a patriarchy, or powerful privileged males subjugating women. Um, this is there's so many things that we, you and I together, could find throughout the entire world where women are being taken advantage of. They are being used. There are uh, disadvantages that they have in different systems. Um, but this movie. I find a bit ridiculous that it that is being played in Christian nations because Christian nations were where you see the most equality, and of course it's because of the Judaic Christian foundation. This movie would not really even begin to go over in China or in Saudi Arabia or in Nepal or India or Tibet, uh, nations that practice Buddhism, um, practice Islam, practice Hinduism. Uh, practice atheism. Uh, in China, when communism really first came out with Mao Zedong, we see something that was very similar. Very, very similar. What Mao Zedong did in the Communist Party of China did, that I see a lot of this when I heard you talking about Barbie and I heard you talking about the movie and I looked it up a little bit and read a little bit, I immediately went back to China in 19, the 1950s, how Mao Zedong came with all these promises that women are underprivileged, they're being subjugated by the male patriarchy, um, that uh, women hold up, and he honestly said, you know, women hold up half the sky, uh, they are equal, and he tried to bring about equality to men, male and female equality, and, and tried to remove all, he said that all gender, identification tags were um, socially and culturally created. 
so that gender was not real, which is what we're hearing today. Exactly the same message that we're hearing today, that gender is not real. And yet, a matriarchy is better than a patriarchy. Gender's not real. Gender's made up. You can, If you identify as a woman, you can be a woman until you are a woman and you want to be out of the male patriarchy. So it's- but not, not just that, but but everything that we consider to to be what makes a female, which in itself is controversial today, but has not in its factual state moved at all or shifted, all of those things that make you feminine, that make you a woman, that of course not all women fall into in, in equal measure, all those things were demonized in the movie. And like that's what? what I found so sad. Like what? Um, it's hard for me to say it without like going into plot lines, but like there's just this part where, and it sounds silly and it sounds stupid, but it's not. It's so, it's actually, it's such a strong message where, you know, Barbie has to pick between the Barbie world, which, and they hold up like this pink, shiny, high heeled shoe or the real world. And it's this ugly, but sorry for anyone that wears Birkenstocks actually, (laughs) but (laughs) it's an ugly sandal in the other hand. And like she's got to choose and she wants the pink Barbie shoe and the fairy that's holding them that or whatever is like, no, 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 you need to go to the real world. And the ending of the movie um, shows her like walking. She's wearing this ugly brown jacket and she's wearing these like ugly sandals. And basically everything Barbie about her has been stripped away now. I know that there are people that will say that thinking about your appearance, you shouldn't encourage young girls to think about how they look because it's vanity. Okay, that's fine. Um, I have a problem when people start to demonize the idea of all these young girls I was with in the movie theater. There were so many of them that are dressed up for Barbie. They were wearing pink dresses. This is coming from me. You know me. Like, I'm not this person. I'm not a pink dress wearer. This is not me. I've but never to- seen you wear pink in my life. And I rarely see you wear dresses. Yeah, until recently, but that's not for any particular reason. So these young girls that are there trying to enjoy a Barbie movie in innocence are being told that the things that young girls often want to be, not always, but often want to be, those feminine attributes are actually demonized and they should be left behind. They should be forgotten. They're actually something that's holding you back. And I just felt that that was such a sad message to send to these girls. Yeah, it is because, I mean, I mean, how do you feel about women and identity with beauty? Are, are the two synonymous or do you feel that it's culturally imposed? When you say identity with beauty, what, what do you mean? Uh, like, the, be so if you and I dress up for church... We're going to take two completely separate roads, right? I'm going to probably put on something very simple. I'll wash my face, shave, brush my hair, and then walk out the door. I'm assuming that you'll take a few more steps than me. I'm assuming that you will also put on clothes. You will also wash your face. You will also brush your hair. But maybe brushing your hair is going to look different than mine. Um, Brushing or washing my face is the end of my procedure with my face. Um, I'm assuming that that's not the case with you. Should I be offended by that? I don't know. I'm kidding. I'm I'm joking. No, I think um, the answer is probably not, not cut and dry, right? There's some women that I, that really don't consider their appearance. They just don't find it important for them. And they're more than happy with that. And I'm okay with that. 
I just have a real problem when you demonize the other half of women. I think that's my issue. Okay, I'm not going to get too much into theology, but I, I do believe that women were created last for a purpose. I believe that um, all of creation was finished. God created everything, and she was the pinnacle of his creation. In in so many ways, she was this beautiful thing, and there's, there's a reason why I think so many women are happy when they feel beautiful. I mean, your friends will tell you, wow, you look really beautiful, Bethany. Your hair looks really nice, or I really love your shoes. At no time will any male friend of mine come and tell me, wow, you look really handsome today, uh, Eugene. Like, I really love your hair. Where did you get your shoes? It, that just, that doesn't cross. Is that cultural? I don't know. I, I tend to believe that it's the way that God created us. Me and too. one of the things that leads me to point in that direction is not just the biblical writings, but also it's universal. It's a universal human experience that goes to the core of our instincts. It is at the, it's the very essence of our, our dance together of, of male and female in, in when we're, when we're looking for a partner or a mate or someone that we want to marry, you know, forever. And this idea of taking women out of that element and, and putting them, forcing them, I mean, of course, there are some women that are naturally maybe a little bit more towards a category that we would uh, say is masculine and label as masculine, even if it's not. There are women that swing from one side to another. They're not all the same. They're not cut in the same way, shape, or form across the board, just like men aren't. And so when I look at this today with this full-on attack, which I feel is an attack on men, um, it's attack on women um, because what it does is it creates an atmosphere of division. It doesn't create unity. Um, it takes people out of their natural habitat and forces them into another habitat. It's, it's, a, it's forcing uh, it to be done. And it's a social engineering that I bring up in this podcast because it is directly related to China. We saw the same thing in China, and let me say that it did not end well. It never does. Whenever man looks at a problem that is a real problem, and we come up with a solution that does not involve God, it turns into an absolute disaster. So what happened in China is that the Communist Party and Mao Zedong identified real problems where women were being subjugated to men in a very horrible way. Women had to bind their feet, which means that from the time that they're little girls, their feet were strapped together, bones grew and broke. Um, they had to walk a certain way. Uh, they were basically sold like cattle uh, into marriages. There were men that had many concubines where women were just a, a tool of reproduction. Uh, and in understanding the feminist movement of today is better seen, I believe, through the lens of the cultural revolution in China. And I use feminism as a general term because of the Barbie movie and, and its identification kind of, of, a, of a feminist movement. And my main message from China to all of our listeners right now is that this movement is not new. It's old. It's been around for a while. This is recycled material. You might think that today in 2023 that we are somehow more educated, more enlightened, more intelligent, and that we now have this new way forward, this bright idea, this amazing idea. 
how women can be equal. In, in, in the 1940s, as communism was rising in China, they gave a lot of promises on college campuses. The main warriors for China and communism was the, the uh, center of the Chinese university campuses. And they believed that all of our problems laid at, th at the feet of three main things. There were three main problems in China. If you can, if you could solve these three main problems, you would, you would solve everything. And that was capitalism, religion, i.e. Christianity. So capitalism, Christianity, and male patriarchy. Those were the three things that had to be destroyed in China. And so what they needed to do, they needed to replace capitalism with communism and bring about equity not equality. So they, that was that is so key that they, they wanted to make sure that everybody was equal um, no matter what. So everybody gets equal pay, everybody gets equal uh, uh, focus, everybody gets equal, not just equal opportunity. There is no equal opportunity. Everybody gets uh, equal everything across the board. Sounds good in theory. And they needed to replace Christianity with evolution and atheism. And finally, they needed to replace the male patriarchy with a gender-neutral world where gender does not exist, where male and female are equal, where the gender pay gap is equalized. And what happened is that Mao mobilized the Red Guard, these young college students, and they began to do a lot of propaganda, kind of like today with us doing social media uh, apps or, or social media posts, they would put up these paintings or uh, posters. And they had these certain posters that were called the Iron Girls posters, where militia members that were traditionally male roles that were fighters were now women. And there were women performing hard labor, farming, fighting, carrying weapons, going to war. And what they were doing is they were just pushing these uh, propaganda posters and they began to also have commercials and movies where women are purposefully put in traditional male roles. And this Maoist era propaganda created imageries that showed how women could be and function the same as a male. And, male, uh, and Mao wrote this poem uh, because, you know, all tyrants are known for their poetry. He said uh, this, and this is what he's well known for. There, people quote Mao on this. Says, women uphold half the sky. The times have changed and men and women are the same. This was to show the communist achievement of gender equality and how bright, how brave the women looked. They were shouldering, you know, these five foot rifles on their parade ground, lit up by the first gleams of China's light. They were called China's daughters and they had high aspiring minds and they loved their battle array. And they, they, they threw away their dresses and their silks and their satins for military uniforms. And here's where it gets interesting because these college students were sent to re-education camps so that they would be retrained and retaught and all of the evil patriarchy ideas that were in their brain were pulled out. And in a short amount of time, they were stuffed with all of the teachings from the communist propaganda about how evil 
the male patriarchy was, how uh, women could do it better. And then these women were sent into the countryside, or I'm sorry, the students were sent into the countryside to do re-education with people in the more rural areas. And it wasn't just about um, women being soldiers. It was also women being farmers. And it turned out to be a disaster because what happened was what is happening today. Educated individuals that come out of the modern day um, universities are churning out these ideas that everything you learned about your sex is wrong. Beauty for women is wrong. Men being in charge is wrong. Women can do as good or better than men. And they began to implement these women as farmers to teach farmers who were actually farmers how to farm their farms. And it didn't turn out good. It turned out that uh, students, I'll say students instead of women because it was men and women, but it was this whole idea of getting women out into the fields with the farmers. They didn't know how to plant seeds, but they were showing the farmers how to farm. They had never planted a seed in their life, but they were quoting studies and saying, this study says this is how you can plant the seed and make it better. These are the facts. I'm going to show you the scientific facts. You don't know science because you're backwards. You're a country bumpkin. You're retarded. You don't know. I'm going to show you because I'm an elite college student and I have been enlightened with these ideas that come from communism. And while the farmers didn't know any of the studies, they didn't know any of the statistics, they didn't know how to quote any of the facts that you know come, came from all these different studies, the one thing they did know is how to farm. And they found these college Red Army students were annoying and dangerous and deadly. They wasted seeds. They didn't know how to use farming tools and equipment because it turned out that to actually use them and implement farming looks a lot different than it does in the classroom learning the theory of it. And the students became enraged when their ideal, when their ideology was questioned by those who actually knew how to farm. And they would say, yeah, but what study are you studying? What statistic? And people would be like, well, I've been doing it this way for years and this is what I've saw. Oh, well, um, uh, correlation is not causation. And they would just point to all these facts and studies. And what study are you pointing to when you say that, you know, you should plant on this day and harvest on this day? And this is just one of the ideas. I want to read just one of the ideas that Mal taught that became super dangerous, which is where he educated people to believe that birds were dangerous. And the reason I'm doing this is because when he taught that, um, the male patriarchy was dangerous. We can go on and on about the difference of what he made in male patriarchy uh, and, and how he brought equality to women and men, which he didn't. Um, but uh, it wasn't just that. It was many different aspects. It was farming. It was religion. Um, it was, uh, in this case, wildlife or uh, animal husbandry. Um, Mao believed that the students were educated. He taught them to believe that birds were dangerous and they caused diseases and that farms would do much better if they could get rid of birds. And in 1958, Mao Zedong declared a war on birds and the students went out to the countryside and began to wage this war against birds, believing that they carried diseases, they ate too much food, they took away food from the mouths of people, and they were a general nuisance. 
but there was one specific bird that Mao hated more than others, and it was the sparrow. And Mao Zedong hated this bird so much. Uh, we, we, see the, we see the story of Herod the Great killing all the babies, you know, to get to the baby Jesus. Mao deputized the entire nation in the same way to hunt for birds and kill them in the hopes of eradicating the sparrow. Sparrows were shot out of the air. They were hit with rocks. The same way that he sent propaganda to the streets about women, he did the same with birds. Their nests were smashed. Their eggs were broken. Their chicks were killed. Children helped in the effort by going together with their parents hunting with slingshots. In a coordinated attempt to scare the sparrows from descending on the air, the whole town marched into the countryside, banging drums and and setting off fireworks and, and using their pots and pans as gongs and banging them to scare the birds so that the birds would fly around and get so tired that they would fall down from the sky from exhaustion and be easier to kill. And in fact, they started to even cut down trees so the sparrows wouldn't even have a home in the trees to live in. And this was extremely effective. In one, on, in just one day when this campaign kicked off in Shanghai alone, it was reported, Lee, that it was reported that 194,432 sparrows were killed. This is like a billion sparrows in just three years. And this was one of the things that led to the largest man-made disaster that mankind has ever experienced with tens of millions of people dying. And the solution that Mao came up with, and this is my point for bringing it all, all this up, is that the solution that Mao came up with went in direct conflict to God's teaching. Because in Matthew chapter 10, verse 29, Jesus uses the sparrow as an example of his love. That even though the sparrow has very little value to man, Jesus says that God cares for them and not even one of them falls to the ground without the Father knowing. It points out in the Bible several times the value of men and women. Genesis chapter 1, men and women being made in His image. How do we find equality? By finding the identity of who we are in Christ. And gender identity is an essential part of the war front, or I feel that it's an essential uh, part of the war front inside of China. And it sounds like you felt that this was a war front in, in, in society as well with the movie that you watch with Barbie. Well, I think even if we talk about missions, right, like if we think about the mission field, if we think about back to Jerusalem even, I think that our organization is made richer by our female members and our male members. I mean, they just, they bring something entirely different. They bring, uh, men bring something that women cannot and women bring something that men cannot. And if you took all the women off the mission field, you would create a huge loss for the mission field. And if you took all the men off the mission field, equally, you would have a huge loss. There is a reason that we we work together so well because it is in our design. There is a balance. You and I often talk about like a yin and a yang that sometimes you can find when it comes to working with people on, on the mission field or, or wherever you're working, in society even, that there is a balance between men and women. And once you remove one of those or you downplay one of those, I mean... I'm talking about the damage that I felt was done to but to girls in this movie. But if there was a boy that went to see the Barbie movie, my goodness, he would come out feeling worthless. It's so damaging on every front because both are so 
equally needed and valued and there is a balance that comes working together where women are women and men are men and as they are fully uh, embracing those identities i think that they are the most productive yeah i'm reminded of just walking into a grocery store not everybody can be the butcher because who's going to you know work the produce produce aisle who who's going to stock the the potatoes and the onions and and the veggies and the fruits um who's going to run the cash register um who's going to stock the shelves i, I mean everybody has a, a different job a different identity that they do in in the store and even if we look at the new publishing arm of back to jerusalem with the underground publishing house it's something that you and i do together you bring elements that I am incapable of bringing to the level that you do. Can I do what you do? Yes, but I'm inferior to the, the giftings that you have, just in the same way that I bring certain things to the table that are in my wheelhouse. They're things that I have been blessed with that I feel are, are what I can contribute to this company, to this ministry, to this mission. And that when you and I put those together, they actually have a symbiotic relationship that relies on each other and complements one another, right? Yeah, and I mean, like we've said before, I am uh, in my personality can can be a little bit masculine sometimes. Uh, it's not that I'm this super feminine girly girl. That's not what I'm saying that women have to be or, or that I am for, for this to, to exist that you're saying. There is something, no matter where I fall on the scale of femininity, there is something in me as a woman that balances in, let's say, you as a man, that when we work together, my brain works very differently to yours and your brain works completely differently to mine. And I think for us to pretend that that is not in the design of God, the way that he creates men and women in partnership and marriages, yes, but also working together, whether it be in the church or the mission field, whatever that looks like, um, to demean one of those, to put one above the other, um, or to, to neglect those God-given attributes, I think is is robbing productivity and, uh, yeah, anything positive, really. I, I really think that by trying to create this image that women are men and men are women are to make them weaker. When a woman becomes a man, I believe her, her superwoman cape is actually taken from her, that she's not as powerful as she is as a woman. Um, because if she goes toe to toe with guys in a place where guys can be more gifted, there's going to be a very difficult time for her to be able to show her value and her worth. What the Bible does is it shows that everybody has equal value, but their jobs and their roles are not the same. The, yeah. Just because they're not the same doesn't mean that they're not of equal value. And that's where the world really messes up. And when the world sees the difference in the, in the um, uh, activities, they try to strip away. I believe that it is a direct, this is a direct attack of the enemy, that, the, that God is the creator. And it, it somehow is this, is, is this spit in his face that uh, this idea that we're being sold, this it's a direct assault. When we change genders, it's a direct assault and, and ultimately an insult to the creator to say that you 
as the creator created me wrong. I don't like what you made me. Therefore, I will be what I stink and want to be. And you, God, will refer to me by my preferred pronoun. (laughs) You created me a Mrs., but I consider myself a Mr. And when I get to heaven, you will refer to me as my preferred pronoun. That is the essence of pride. To tell the creator, I, as the creation, will tell you what you have created. And I'm going to recreate the creation that you've made me to be. And that's why so many people are walking a very dangerous road by, you know, giving young girls and young boys these puberty blockers and really starting to slice and dice at their anatomy so that they can be what they want to be instead of what God made them to be. But here is a valuable point to learn from China. China saw the same thing as we see today, inequality. We can call it the pay gap. We can call it um, unequal opportunity in the work field, which exists, right? We can see that, you know, women being treated bad or being assaulted by men or being sexually assaulted by men or feeling sexually harassed by men. Uh, We can say that those things exist and still say that the answer is not for women to become men in order to stop that from happening. Both of those can be true at the same time. But what happens in the world is they identify a real problem to get everybody on board, but then they come up with a worldly solution instead of a biblical solution. And so Mao Zedong viewed himself as the great champion for women's rights. And how did he do it? He had women cut their hair like men. They had to dress like men. They had to be treated the same as men, which kind of reminds me a little bit of the symbolic Birkenstock that you were talking about from the movie. That Mao Zedong basically wanted all the women to wear Birkenstocks to show that they and they weren't allowed to wear high heels. They were not allowed to have, have makeup. They were not allowed to grow their hair long and do it. And it went against their nature. It turns out that it wasn't just socially constructed because when they removed all of the social cues for women to be women and men to be men, they still had this inner innate desire to beautify themselves in a way that men didn't. So they were going against nature. But Mao viewed himself as this great champion for women's rights. And at the same time, and this happens every time, women were being taken advantage of, just as they are in the feminist movement. We saw that Mao Zedong, so there's this guy, his name is Dr. Lee Jitsui. He was the personal private doctor of Mao Zedong and treated him for years in private. And he moved to Chicago and he wrote about all of these things. And lo and behold, what you find is that the very person who was championing women's rights was the first one using that power to exploit them as the enemy always does. And in fact, it, by taking away the, the very the design that God had made for women, as you and I have been talking, he basically put them in a position that made them even more vulnerable. And so what, what, what took place is that Mao ended up having so many women, his dancers, army dancers. So he had his own dance troupe of females in the army that was only for him. He had his personal nurses, um, that he was taken advantage of and, and had to regularly be treated for venereal diseases. 
Um, you did you read the book Wild Swans? Uh, it's on my bookshelf. I haven't started it. Oh, it's one of the best books I've ever read, and it's about three generations of women. It's called the Wild Swans, the Three Daughters of China. Uh, anybody that can read that, I would highly recommend it. It's by a woman by the name of Zheng Chong. Um, she is phenomenal. She's a phenomenal writer. And she wrote that everyone had to wear the same uniform, men and women alike. It was baggy. It was called the Mao suit, usually blue or gray. And in theory, everyone was supposed to be equal. And that was women's equality. But she said, I lived in the real Mao's China until I was 24. And she spent, she spent her first 24 years seeing the reality of what real equality looked like. And I have to tell you, the men in China in that equality, quote unquote, section would make Harry Weinstein and what he did in Hollywood look like child's play. Even Mao Zedong, just Mao by himself as this great equalizer for male and female. He used to host weekly dances in his palace where um, he had this specific ballroom where women would come in and dance in, in, in this all these different clothing, which was illegal in China. Dancing was banned in China. Women dancing was considered to be a form of action by the bourgeoisie, and it was it was it was criminal activity. Um, the doctor said, "I walked into the huge spring of lotus chamber with Mao." This is Dr. Lee writing about his experiences. And he said, he was immediately surrounded by a dozen attractive young women who flirted with him and begged him to dance with them. A band was playing foxtrot, waltzes, and tangos, and Mal danced with each of the young girls in turn. His dancing style was a slow, ponderous walk. After each dance, his partner would sit with him and chat, only to be replaced by a new one only a few uh, minutes later. After their dances, he would then take them all together sometimes at once to his bedroom. He was accused of acting like the emperors of China of old with 3,000 concubines. In 1962, he had a sloping bed that was placed in his room next to the bar ballroom, where after the dance, Mao would use this with the women that he chose, and he would take them all in together, usually three at a time or more, uh, into his room. And uh, it was it was many of those women had to please Mao Zedong, and they were convinced that this would be the happiest that they would ever be in their entire life. And some of the lovers that he took into that room were as young as fourteen years old, where he just preyed on them. This is the result. Whenever we follow the enemy's design, and China is a screaming example, we don't have to, today in the West, we do not have to take China's road. China is an example for us to learn. The world does not have the answers for gender equality. The world does not have the answers for the freedom of women. The world does not have the answers of how to break the chains that bind women today under the thumbs of of those that would prey on them. We can find gender equality realized with God. Without God, we always come to the opposite results. That's my feeling. Um, and Barbie doesn't really solve any problems. It actually leads us down a road that is a greater problem than what we have now. What say you? <laughs> yeah, I actually was talking to somebody about this um, yesterday. 
um, who had also been to see Barbie. And, and I was trying to explain to him why I felt the way that I did about it, because he just didn't feel that it was that bad. And, and he said, the problem is that you are holding a secular movie up to a godly standard. And I said, but that line of thought leads you to a very dangerous road. Because if you start thinking like that, you know what? Why are we talking about this? Barbie is a secular movie. Why would we expect anything better? One of the reasons that the church is so, I don't want to say useless because that feels too strong, but that's kind of what I mean, is because it is so voiceless. It's because the 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 role of the church is to dictate society. It's to not just let things happen and, and let things pass you by because, well, it's a secular society. What do you expect? What would Wilberforce have done if he had that mentality? I really believe that that as believers, that in the church, we have to stand up for what's right and what's wrong and not just say, you know what, the world will do what it does because it's secular. Yes, the world will do what it does. Yes, the world is fallen. And yes, sin exists. But we are not supposed to idly sit by and say nothing. Yeah, I... I about Bobby. Yeah, so no, I, did you tell him to stop mansplaining? <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> no, I, I think that you are absolutely right. When you say that the church is voiceless, I was just thinking about that today. And I even made a video for the new book that we have coming out right now that is out right now um, called A Voice in China. There, no, it's has, not. there has been this dumbing what's down. The, what's the name? Oh, sorry. A Voice in the Darkness. Yeah, <laughs> sorry, you said sorry. that in the video too. Did I? Oh. Yeah, you did. But then at the end, you said the right name. So it's fine. Oh, I should redo <laughs> it, but I don't want to redo it. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So it's a voice in the darkness. That's the name of the book. But the, but the reason why, um, which the original name was a voice from China. I don't even remember what the original name was. It wasn't memorable. I think you're right. Yeah, I think it was a voice from China. So for those of you that are listening to this podcast, basically, Bethany and I have been working on starting a, a the publishing arm of Back to Jerusalem, and that is the Underground Publishing House. And the Underground Publishing House is publishing books that really are illegal in many different countries in Iran, in China. We're put, producing a lot of books right now. That well, I mean, we got one right now, but and it's and I think that it's our best seed ever. It's like the best book to start with. It's such a foundational writing. Um, yeah. And the reason why is what you just said, which is that the church seems a little bit voiceless. I would argue, not everybody that listens to this podcast would agree, but I would argue that the church has forfeited their verse by their voice by watering down much of the biblical language that we have by um, dumbing down the not just the 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 gospel message but the presentation of that message in the language that we use. There's this dumbification that is that has taken place where we've become so generic, so uh, you know catering to the lowest common denominator that we end up saying a lot of nothing. Whereas when we go back a hundred years to these great authors like uh, Griffith John, who wrote the book that you and I have basically repackaged for a modern day audience, uh, a voice in the darkness, uh, that, that writing style that he has captures the imagination as poignant language. It is extremely um, uh, dense with theological uh, bombs 
that just explode every paragraph. Uh, and it's deliberate. It's, like yes. everything he says is deliberate. He doesn't throw away words. He doesn't have any kind of filler paragraphs or filler chapters that we might see today in, in some writings. But everything that he says, I mean, there will be times I would be reading it and I would have to stop after every sentence to think to myself, okay, did I get that? Like, let me read that again. Let me make sure I understood that. Everything he says is so intentional. Yeah, there's this, and I found, I, for me, I, you and I read this at the same time. For me, as I was reading it, I just found this power. It, there were words that I, I haven't really ever seen in the English language, but when I looked them up, they were so specific that he would pluck out of the English vocabulary and place it right there in the book so that it would explain a specific idea or biblical concept that was unwavering. And it was done in such a beautiful way that it felt like you were watching an artist paint a canvas, a masterpiece, where images were created out of words, concepts, ideas, worlds even, were created out of his words that allowed you to see God in a different way, in a fresh way, in a, in a, in a way that creates answers to problems instead of additional problems to your problems, which is, I think, not just the world's solution is to use more problems to create a pro to uh, answer a problem, but I think in so many instances where the church tries to placate the world, where they try to cater to today's society, they end up becoming voiceless. Yeah, message of the day: Don't go and see Barbie. Yes. Okay, good. Yeah, I wanted to, I, I'm so glad that you came on, Bethany. Thanks for joining us. I think that this is something that as people see this movie, just know this is not a new concept. This is an old strategy by the enemy. And we can see an example that should allow us to sidestep this disaster because of what we have as a blueprint in China for what happens when we follow the world and follow man and not God's plan for our lives. Thank you so much for joining us for another Back to Jerusalem podcast. Again, I'm Eugene Bach, your host for this time, coming to you live on delay from somewhere within the borders of Sweden. God bless.